Hi, I'm Sam Pador, and I'd like to welcome Bill Harkleroad, also known as Zoot Horn Rollo. Bill was a guitarist for Captain Beefheart and his magic band and played on some of their most famous albums, including one of the greatest experimental albums of all time, Trout Mask Replica. So welcome, Bill. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Not bad for a geezer. <laughs> <laughs> Since you're talking about 52 years ago there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I know during the recording of that album, Trout Mask Replica, um, Captain Beefheart had some really like extreme rules that you and the rest of the band had to follow. Could you tell me a bit about that? I wouldn't call them rules. It was just his uh, inability. He was diagnosed schizophrenic, paranoid schizophrenic, okay? And I didn't know that at the time. But so when you're dealing with somebody that's that nuts, but that creative, it wasn't rules. I mean, I guess it could have been if you look at it in hindsight, but when you're there, it's just some controlling crazy guy. But he was our hero, all of us, and we were all 19 years old. You know, the rules weren't, they were just him and his mood, I think, you know, so it's hard to assign them as rules because they would change all the time. So you didn't think twice about following them at times? All the time, you know, I mean, there's, you know, if you, if, since we're treading towards this thing, and I have to say this, I'll interrupt. We just finished four videos uh, of an hour and a half each with moderators of the four of us remaining members talking about all of this. Mm. So we're going to try to package that into a thing, into maybe 90 minutes worth of stuff. So all of this is pretty fresh. Some of this I would have gone, huh? Because I didn't want to think about it anymore because it was gross. I'll say this though. 19 years old and I'll speak for me. I think this happened with everybody else, but I'll only speak for me. I was afraid of dying in Vietnam. You didn't get a choice. You're going over there, they're giving you a gun, and you're either going to kill somebody or yourself. And I was going to do anything possible to stay out of it. So being in that band and then eventually getting out because we were cash cows for Warner Brothers Records, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to get into the dirty details of that. But all of our members got out of the service because we were cash cows. And so that makes you feel a little safer even in an abusive situation. Also, I'm 19 and I'm... You would never know it, but I was a very shy person, too tall, too weird. And so there were certain things in all of us, I think, that put up with stuff that a, a more self-confident person would have not done. So I think we were a unique group of people. Plus, we were 19 and you was 28. So was there some sort of like power dynamic going on there? Huge. I mean, this guy went to the library to learn how to brainwash people. Really? I'm not, ki I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that's, that's surprising. That's, uh, wow. <laughs> okay. I mean, just to put it this way, just to really cut right to that, is it's like, this is a brilliant, brilliant human being, explosively creative, and totally full of shit. <laughs> he did this. No, he didn't. He didn't invent planet Earth, and he didn't write an album in eight hours. He's just full of shit on those things. But the, the creativity of it and the music that we were playing and the history that I was listening to him at 14 years old, and he was my hero, him and Frank Zappa. You know, I'm not going to Vietnam and I'm in this band that I wanted to be in and then, oh my God, it's terrible, but I'm kind of a weak piece of shit at that point in my life, okay? Just coming out of a hippie cult, Timothy Leary hippie cult. So I was, I was easy meat. Yeah, so could, could you tell me a bit about like the things Beefheart made you guys do? I read somewhere you couldn't leave your house. Well, we could we could have, but I mean, I, it's that wasn't like you can't leave. It wasn't like that. It was like we're practicing 15 hours a day. We don't have any money. We don't have cars. 
What, are you going to go on foot to the corner store? Well, we all tried to do that, and everybody escaped. I never tried to, but tried to escape. And we'd grab them and come back. And wow. I don't see them as rules. And it was just craziness and really artistic, and we were working our asses off, and it was just this first thing. It was six months, and all of a sudden I'm in this house playing 12, 13 hours a day on these tunes. So it wasn't like you can't leave the house. We couldn't, but we could have, but we didn't. Mm -hmm. We didn't have really the availability to do so. Yeah. Except me, I was kind of the designated driver. I'd go to the store and get shit. Oh, I guess wow. he trusted that he had me more boon whack than anybody else. <laughs> and then I'd come back, not just take the car and go. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's really uh, funny. Uh, you know, and again, I'm remembering this from a long time ago. <laughs> but it's a lot more fresh because of these videos we just did. Yeah. Because I get to hear the other three guys' perspective and go, oh, man, I forgot about that. Because I wanted to forget about that. <laughs> Well, you said you guys were f practicing up to like 15 hours a day. Mm -hmm. did All that, day long, yeah. Did that ever get like tiring? <laughs> it was tiring the first 10 minutes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it, it was re re relentless. Uh, but it was better than being stuck in the room with him in these talks and the brainwashing shit and all of this. And sometimes those were wonderful because we were exposed to really creative artists. I wouldn't have known about Harry Parch, Ornette Coleman, Stockhausen, just various things that were really incredibly artistic things and painters, you know, because he was a painter and, and he had a real sensitivity to that. So that was the good side, you know, when we weren't rehearsing. But rehearsing was, God, we can get away from this lazy fuck that's just asleep in the bedroom while we're doing this work, right? So he wouldn't rehearse with you? Almost never. Too lazy. And did he have a lot of say of what the, um, the, the product would end up like, like how you would practice. What well, he was, he was a great idea guy. He couldn't carry it out for because he was too lazy, but he was good at doing that and having, it's almost like Steve Jobs, right? You hire all these geniuses as, I want you to make this. What's wrong with you? Well, he can't do anything. He just yell at you and do this, but he has a good idea. So he used humans as AI and just, just carved it around like that. But the brilliant part that I think he did is because of that control, we didn't play our corny blues licks we would have played. We kept it in that artistic framework. He would sculpt the band after, while we're playing the tune, and he would do this and change some things, right? Constantly, too much so, because we just spent 10 hours on this one tune trying to learn the parts, and we'd try to play it, and then he'd change it. Hmm. If, he was up, if he had a cup of coffee and was feeling like it. So it was, he did some really creative ways, though, thinking of sculpting a group of musicians that are playing this tune and then sculpting it after the fact. Jazz players, which is more of a mentality I, I can relate to, is they're playing and you don't tell people what to do. You live with what they've got. Hopefully you talk to them if they're, they're inner experience or less experienced than you are or the other way around. But this was just a complete control thing, but it was really creative way to get people to play sounds that they couldn't have thought of. And he didn't know, he didn't have an intention. That's the thing. He had a general intention, but no specific intention. He didn't know anything about music. He could play things and make wonderful sounds. He was brilliant, but he didn't understand the language. Yeah, I mean, that. I read somewhere, again, that he, he would play on the piano. He would write something out, but he didn't actually know what on earth he was doing, right? No, he's just going this, bing, 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 bing. Hey, John, write that down. And then after John left, I did it from decals on for a few albums, right? And I know what's going on because I'm sitting there putting these pieces together and I come back and I play One Red Rose, which was a solo guitar piece on decals. 
I come back to his house. I was living down the street. By that time, I was out of the dungeon, and came up and I played it for him. And he says, "Wait, Jan, come here. What? I, listen to what I created." He has no fucking clue that I left out half of what he played, reorganized it, and changed it. Okay, so. We've done interviews with Samuel Andreev, and he said, I can't, it's hard for me to think that he actually wrote this stuff. And I said, I think it's more arranging than writing because the whole concept was his. And it was a global concept, not the specifics. The specifics would get messed with, but there was not great intention of that level of going, oh yeah, that's a G7 flat five chord, play that. No, you know, it, it was just like, do this and then do that and play it upside down like you're an orange. Yeah. That's what, what we would, yeah, well, what is the f does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like quite the stressful environment to be in. It was. It took a lot of us a long time, and I'm probably still not over it. I mean, in one of these videos, John French came up to visit me, the drummer, right? And he, and, and he said, I told him a story. I said, man, I was walking down the street, and all of a sudden I'm listening to the birds, and I'm going, God, I'm happy. What the f happened? Why am I happy? I was in my four, early 40s by then, okay? So, no, that was... Uh, that was was my Vietnam, but I didn't have a gun. So, like, th this whole Beefheart experience almost, like, traumatized you? It traumatized all of us, for sure. But it was that great and powerful, and we could see the huge upside of it, too. So do you regret at all being a part of it? No. Are you kidding me? You're talking to me because of that, right? Yeah, that's true. Right? And I, I teach guitar online. That's what I do. Still, I'm going to be 75 soon, okay? All right? Old guys still doing this. I get to teach. What a cool thing. I'm sitting in a chair talking to you. That's because of that. I feel I really earned it. <laughs> I do. But he took all of it. And that's part of the thing with the video is, no, there was somebody else there besides him. More than just Captain Beefheart. It was also the magic band, right? And all of the other bands, There's a, when you listen to the similarities, but how many of those things that did he was saying, do you hear this, how Zoot played this? You do it like that. So we kind of, I don't know that that happened with him. I can't speak for the later bands. John French could, because he was back five times, I think. But the thing is, is that it was easy to kind of sound like the magic band when there's something sitting there to compare it to. There was nothing to compare it to before Trout Mask. Yeah, well, well, that that's the leap off planet Earth, man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that album, the first time I heard it, I was like, "Hold on a second. and I had to like rewind and be like, "Whoa," because that that album's got some crazy stuff going on. Well, that, I'm amazed. How old? You're 16 or something. I'm 16. Yes. Well, it's a crazy album, but that it, that you can listen to it. I talked to Samuel and who loved it the first time. Matt Groening was one of the guys, the guy that does The Simpsons. He was one of the four moderators. Samuel was one too, and Billy Bob Thornton. What a cool guy. Anyway, yeah, it was a crazy album, but I'm blown away by people that can listen to it and go, oh, it's easier now, I think. I think there's been enough exposure by different types of music and people are inundated with things, YouTube, etc., that it's easier. But still, anybody that listens to it and doesn't just run away crazy, I'm, I'm impressed or afraid. <laughs> and I'm not kidding about the other. I have had people camping in my front yard that are scary. Okay, so. Oh, oh wow. Well, do you, know, you listen? Fly over from Japan and hang out, and I'm supposed to just give them my time. Yeah, that's ugh. okay. Yeah. Do you listen to it yourself at all? No, I, I had enough of it. I, you know, every once I mean, I can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. Okay, which is all good, but no, there's no reason for me to listen to it. We, uh, Matt Groening, when we were doing the, the interview, what he did is he went through all the tunes, and I said at the end, I don't know those tunes. I worked my ass off not to play like that. I wanted to be me. I'm old. I'm gonna play that. Shit 
for the rest of my life. That seems stupid to do the same thing. That's not progressing. That's not evolution. But way to what a way to start it. Wow. I'm going yeah. from blues guitar to that. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. I got, I got lucky in that. Not the horror of it and the pain of it, but I got lucky. I really do. Especially, wow, World War Three is over now. I'm good. Well, well, that makes me question here. Like, if if you were to describe that album, how would you describe it? In regards to music, I would describe it as a freedom of an artistic mentality, totally a concept way to do it, a concept album of the piano and that, with other things that were thrown in to make it organic, like the things that just one-offs that happened, or hair pie bake one, where the kids walk up in the, in the thing and you hear the bushes rattling and all kinds of that nature shit. There was a lot of elements to it. Um, but to me, I know the band members said it's jazz with uh, uh, rock instrumentation, and I actually very much disagree with that. If it leans towards anything, it's leaning towards classical, because there is no improvisation. Jazz is improvisation. So there is none of that, other than the little things that happened. You know, when Doug Moon came and they played some blues tune or whatever, dust flows forward and backward, or whatever, all those things. Again, I don't remember all of them, but to me, I describe it as art first, with a classical mentality of memorization, and because of the multiple time signatures and keys and things like that, which were not that constructed. John French had a lot to do with how that all fit together, for sure. And of course, the band members just in playing it, because you're plugging in, you go, you're playing that? What the f How are we gonna get through this tune? What? But as it grew, we started growing into it. And that, that all day, every day for six, seven, eight months, or whatever it was, really got it solid. So it was a very rehearsed, leaning towards a classical mentality of art, very modern classical, if it's that. But it's hard to call it that because then you go to the lyrics, which are astounding. And so when you think of that part, you know, you go, what? So it's like beatnik free poetry with a very constructed, willy-nilly created, he didn't construct anything. I mean, he would after the fact and change things, but that work was put together by these parts go like this. And he goes, yeah, you know what to do. <laughs> what? Well, just give me your bank account and I'll just start writing checks. <laughs> I know what to do. <laughs> that didn't happen. But that's the best way I can describe it is, is more of a classical art music type of thing that was um, in that way a complete package. Mm -hmm. Because all of the lyrics, all of that freeform stuff. Because he's, he's doing such nice things. He's laughing at humanity, he's environmental, he's talking about Dachau blues, all of these different things. It was very heavy hitting and start and funny at the same time, which was a wonderful combination. Too bad you couldn't hear us playing. Have you heard the version without the vocals? No, I haven't. Just go to Whitney Studios is how it comes up. Trump okay. asked Whitney Studios and you, you, the balance is better. You can hear the bass is still lost a bit mm. too much, but it's all the tracks without him. I know something you mentioned earlier, which is something that drives me nuts every time I I hear Trout Mask or anything, anything like of that style you guys have done, is everything is intentional, and I I just can't wrap my head around how you how you would repeat that, like how much how much work did that take? Because well, you we just you we just said twelve hours a day, right? For yeah, nine months, yeah. six, seven months, all day, by people that could play. Yeah, wow.
I was I was also wondering here. Um, I know Frank Zappa produced Trout Mask Replica. How did that have any, like, how did that affect the outcome of what it turned into? That's a great question. That's a really, boy, that was a really good question. It started that he wanted to do like a, almost a field recording thing, like here, probably make one at the house. He was just going to record at the house, cheapo. And then Don starts screaming, we don't deserve a studio. And I don't know what was going on because those guys went to high school together. They're buddies, right? And, um, but Frank just said, okay, I'll give you freedom and all that. And that's what he thought. He, and he, I think he thought it was going to be a way to do it in that way. And then we thought we were just going to be, he thinks we're wild man Fisher. I don't know if you know who I mean. He was one of the street people that Frank recorded and he was a challenged human being. Oh. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he's putting us in the freak show category. I don't know that he really was. I didn't have that. I didn't, I was a privy to that conversation, but it, it affected it because we went from there and then we got a studio time. We got one eight hour session or six hour session and we did our 18 tracks that happened in four and a half hours, first or second takes. That's nuts. So there's tons of little mistakes all over the place that I hear in there. I was always, I was just horrified. I hate making mistakes <laughs> in the studio and something like that, you'd work so long. And we just had to go for like that. And the stories of Frank falling asleep with Moon Unit on his lap and all of that. But it affected it, I guess, just because he had that control. He's the one paying for this stuff, you know? But I think it was, quite a bit of freedom you know just ultimate freedom in some way you know all right did you ever like meet him or talk to him a lot at of all? time with frank yeah. oh sure sure i guess i knew I... him before i was in the band i saw him playing drums in the group yeah oh wow yeah i it was like i think i was like 12 playing basketball in the gymnasium and they were rehearsing it um he he and he and don went to to high school together you said did mm-hmm. did they have any kind of like what what was their dynamic going on there I, I think it was, you know, uh, they had music kinship together. Don's uh, dad delivered pastry and they'd steal donuts out of the car and listen to R&B music and stuff. So I think probably that was like, well, how many people are like that, like this in our, let's say there's a thousand kids in the school or 1500 kids in this high school. Is there one other besides those two that was anywhere close to that? No. So people of at least a similar nature are going to kind of gravitate. And I think that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing there might've been a girlfriend episode. Who knows what 14 year old kids are doing, you know? Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. 16. I'm talking to you, but 16 <laughs> year olds now are 40. <laughs> I think it was probably really good. They, they were doing a thing. Frank was making movies and Don was an actor in it. And that's where the name Captain Beefheart came up. Mm-hmm. And, and then Frank went to jail for, uh, I don't know how long for making blue movies porno movies or yeah. whatever they were okay so he did that he actually handed me these cards of tunings he made up and I, I wish i still had them i think it was good but that was a great thing and i really liked seeing frank i'd go into his room and i knew he was going to die soon because it was just coffee peanut butter and jelly and cigarettes oh yeah yeah that's a and 20 hour work days jeez so two people i saw like that ian anderson from jethro tool mm-hmm. later who wasn't that guy Thought, you know, we all smoked cigarettes back then, you know, yeah, it's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but those two guys really showed me the, the, there's a reason people are successful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And front runners and where they're the lead of the pack and there's the down wave, the wake of the boat behind them. And you're just bouncing people around because they're doing all the work. But both of them were like 20 hour day dudes. 
and it was it was intense and it was like oh i get this so it made it easier to go back and practice that much yeah that's how how hard somebody that was doing a more legitimate type music because he was doing the a lot of classical stuff at that time yeah it's quite the lifestyle to have i can't even imagine 20 hour days that's oof. you're just driven yeah that's and without much caffeine in you, you got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> that that's he, true, I guess. Yeah. No drug, no drugs, man. Mm-hmm. No drugs with him, right? Well, were were there drugs at all in in the Magic Band at all? When I showed up, the day I showed up, I had, had I think I had a couple tabs of acid and about ten joints in my sock because <laughs> that was just normal. For yes. Me. Yeah. I came in and they're dead straight. They're they're meditators. They're Maharishi guys. And I'm going, oh. Well, of course, in the first week, Don and I take acid and we're smoking pot, and then that was it. Wow. Then it was Soberland. That's... And I, I didn't even have an alcohol until maybe 22, 23 on the road, 22, something like that. And I'd have a drink or two. That's so different from a lot of musical, I guess, groups, especially like quite experimental ones. Like Well, yeah, like you would think, oh, man, they were hammered. You know? Yeah. No. No. Wow, really? We couldn't, have done that. we couldn't have remembered this stuff? No. That's no. interesting. <laughs> the thing he didn't do is, if, had we had any food, we could have thought better and done better. We were just four. My mother supplied that band with a lot of food. Mm. Money. Money. Well, something I, I've been meaning to ask here, how did you get the name Zoot Horn Rollo? Okay, this is a story that just came up, so I know it. Okay? I wouldn't have known this. <laughs> Cause I, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, cause I always thought he's Captain Beefheart. You guys don't get to have regular names. That's what I thought. I think I'm, I'm now realize I'm wrong. That name existed before I did. Well, in, uh, I think, uh, John French said that Jerry Handley and Alex Snoffer or Alex St. Clair as people know him as, as previous members wanted some names themselves. And so they were just sitting there in a rehearsal, making a list of names. And those antennae, Jimmy Simmons, Rocket Morton, and Zuthorn Rollo were in that list. So I think they created those names. Those two. Oh. And John French didn't know when he came in, what's all this? What is that? And he was going to be Zuthorn Rollo. This is before I was in the band. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of went away, and then Trout Mask happened, and then that came up again. And he became Drumbo. I took that, Mark, and then Jeff, right? Yeah, yeah. So those names were out there, but I don't know they were Don's. Hmm. I thought they were. Oh, yeah. Well, one last question here. I know in many, many ratings, many websites, many magazines, Trout Mask Replica is noted as one of the greatest albums of all time. I think in Rolling Stone it was the 60th or something. Do you, do you agree personally with that rating? Both. Both. Because I don't know enough uh, uh, all time. There's been 50 years worth of music, and most of it I don't care about, I don't listen to. Mm-hmm. And you're going to know about it, and I won't. Okay? I, I hear of things that, uh, through my students is where I'll hear things. Yeah. Okay? So, right? Of course. I say yes because of the mammoth effort, and not because I have, I have a real lack of self-worth, so it's hard for me to associate that with something I've done. Mm-hmm. But when I have Samuel Andreev, and I have people that really know their sh- you know, my friends from Berkeley School of Music, etc., come to me and it's taught at Juilliard now. It's, it's a, a, con, a lot of the classical 
professors and stuff really love that album. So I'm going to go with the idea that if people that are really that good and established put it in that regard, I have to. Okay? Same time, I think there's... It's easy to do that when something is so different than anything else. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. You know, and I think there's certain times, you know, and I need to be careful because there's a lot of negative references I could pull out right now mm -hmm. that people think it's great and I go, fakers. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I don't want to go there. So there's that too. So I think there's an element of it that people that knew that the technique was weird and all of that, and they know music, can go back to it and find problems with it for sure. That's the way I can go with that. I do believe it. I've heard too many people that, that I respect say that, so I'll go with their idea. I can't do it from me because I'm too close to it. That's a really good answer. I was, I was not, I had nothing to expect there. I, I had no idea what you were going to say. I was very, yeah, that was exciting. And, and you know, Bill, thank you so, so much for talking to me. It, it was so, so cool to hear your story, Bill. Like every time I've listened to Beefheart, when I hear something, it's like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's normal-ish. And then I get hit by Trout Mask. And that's why I've been asking you all these questions, because I don't know myself. I'm so confused. Oh, for sure. Sam, nice to meet you. I it was really good meeting you. All right. Goodbye. I'm Sam, and I hope you liked that interview with Bill Harkle Road, also known as Zoothorn Rolo, who played with Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. They're just such a cool, such a cool band. And their their album, Trout Mask Replica, is just incredible. So if if you enjoyed that interview, make sure to listen to my back pages on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any podcasting service. Go to mybackpages.org. Keep listening to my back pages for many, many more great interviews just like this one.